every distraction leaves. Because our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole being is pulled towards you. Jesus, we love you. We do, Lord. We love you. You know us each by name. You know everything about us. Every hair on our head is numbered. Oh, God. Lord, you said you know when a sparrow falls to the ground. And in saying that, you were saying, how much more can my Father take care of you? Oh, God, we thank you for your care. We really do. We're amazed. And we pray that in the months and the years to come, as we have given this morning, Lord, we just want this house to be a beacon of light. Newport is a dark place, Lord. And Lord, we want you to shine from this place. Shine from our lives. Let this place be so inviting for the lost world around us. We pray. Lord, we promise as your family to welcome them as they come in, as they're drawn to this place. We're going to welcome them home. We're going to tell them. They're going to know by experience there's no place like home. We believe it. So, Father, we ask you that this would be a place where sinners are welcome. No matter what condition, no matter what they've been through, no matter where they've come from, oh God, Lord, we ache for the lost because you ache for the lost. And it's your ache, we feel the ache for the lost world around us. We pray. Oh God, we see it. We see it teeming full of people. Every nationality, every age and stage of life, we see it, Lord. And you being magnified as healer and savior, we believe it. In Jesus' name. Woo! Come on, let's give him a shout. Hallelujah. Let it be done. In Jesus' name, we ask you. Oh, fantastic. Well, you may be seated. We are so, so excited about what's happening among us as a family. Do you know, I've been inviting people to this house all week. All week. I haven't been able to stop inviting them. And I don't think many of them have turned up this morning. But you know what? I'm not even bothered about that. I am bothered, but I'm not bothered, if you know what I mean. Because there's a burning invitation inside me. An aching invitation. Inside. That's been lit 
and fueled and perpetuated by the Holy Spirit. I'm not doing it out of compulsion. I'm not doing it to score points with God. I'm doing it out of an ache inside that I just want to see people who are out there alone, homeless, not knowing who Jesus is, not knowing about his care and his love. I want to see them brought into the family of God. I want them to see and meet you because you're amazing. You're wonderful. Jesus has done wonderful things in you and you have something to give to others. And in the days and the months to come, we are going to see increasing numbers of people come into this house. And I'll tell you why. Not because we've got it cracked. Certainly not because of any of that. But because God is Lord of the harvest. He is Lord of the harvest. The Bible says it. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers out into the harvest field. The harvest is white. Let me tell you something now. The Lord of the harvest are going to turn people on to come into this house. He's going to move them and they're going to be moved and brought into this place. And they're not even, I'm telling you now, they're not even going to have a choice in the matter. Because he is Lord of the harvest. He's purchased Newport by his blood. He really has. Hallelujah. I had to get that off. My chest, as we begin this morning, because listen now, right? The time is coming where we're going to be fighting for seats. Okay. Just, just giving you a little warning. There may be a couple of little empty ones. There may be a tiered seating at the moment that is unoccupied, but it has somebody's name on it. It's our statement of faith. An empty chair is our statement of faith. To a huge city, there's still room in this house for you. Wherever you come from, wherever you've been, those chairs are going to be filled. I'm telling you, not because I'm preaching or anybody else is preaching, but because God, by His Spirit, in increasing measure, is going to land on this place. He really is. So be encouraged, church. Be encouraged. He is Lord of the harvest, right? He is Lord of the harvest. He controls the harvest. And he is going to hand it over to the church of God in this land. Amen. Amen. So that the people can be healed, the people can be blessed, and people can be set free. I want to, look, I'll tell you this, right? I was on the street the other day just outside the building and a man walked past. I didn't know who he was. And I looked at him and I said, sir... How are you doing? He looked at me and he said, not very well. I said, why? What's the matter? Come here. Tell me. What's the matter? What's wrong? And I took him by the hand and I looked in his eyes. He said, well, I've just come out of prison. I've done 12 months in prison. And he said, I come out and he said, I find my partner prostituting herself. We've got a, a child. He said, she's been prostituting herself to feed her crack habit. I've come off crack. I'm just smoking a bit of weed now. I held his hand and I gripped his hand tightly. I said, well done, sir. You've come off the crack. Bit of weed here and there. You'll get there. And his eyes brightened. And his demeanor changed. And he was so mixed up and confused. 
He said, I don't know what to do. I'm so angry. I'm so hurt. He said, then he said, he said, my best friend, he was sleeping with her as well. He said, my, my life is chaos. My life's a mess. Held him by the hand. I said, sir. I said, maybe your partner was doing what she was doing because she was driven by her addiction. I think she loves you, really. I think she doesn't want you to leave. I think she'd like you to go back to where you are with your little child and work things out. She loves you, sir, really, doesn't she? Yes, he said. She does. I said, listen, look beyond the prostitution. See the cause and the source of it, the addiction. She'll come through it. She'll get there. And he said, you know what? You're right. You're right. It wasn't the time to pray a prayer with him. You see, it was a time to give him a bag of food. Jesus cares all over it. I said, are you hungry, sir? Yes, I am. We haven't got any food in the cupboard. We got him some food, and off he went. I'm telling you something now. Our city... That is but one of thousands, tens of thousands. You know it. I'm not telling you anything new. You're working in it. You're living in it. You're hearing it. You're seeing it. You just got to open the newspaper to see the chaos. Oh, but like Charles Wesley said, I like to go in the darkest places because where, 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 where I'm in the darkest places, the light burns brightest. And this city, uh, this church is in, is in a city that is dark. This very church is on probably one of the darkest areas in Newport. Thank God for that. Hallelujah. Thank God that we are in the neediest area that we have been positioned to receive those who have got huge life problems, huge addictions. I'm telling you something now. People are going to come into this family and the love among us, the presence of God with us, is in a moment going to deliver people with lifelong addictions, with no hope, with no help, with nowhere to go. People with suicidal tendencies are going to be set free in a moment. People with depression and fear. I'm telling you now, God is going to do it. Why? Because his heart towards the harvest has never changed. He loves the lost. He loves to raise those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. He really does. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I want to, if I can, I want to get back to some things that I was talking about a few months ago this morning and over the weeks, hopefully. We'll be going through this in a, in a continued way, in a deeper way. A few months ago, I don't know if you remember, I spoke about an occasion where I was in the kitchen talking to God. And I said to God, I was by the cooker. I said to God, Lord, I love serving you. Immediately, the Holy Spirit interrupted me and he said, you're not serving me. 
I recoiled angrily and said, what do you mean I'm not serving you? And then I began to list all of the things that I thought I was doing well as a Christian and as a pastor in the church. Oh, how pitiful. How pitiful. Listing your list of works before God. How arrogant, how proud. And I went through it all. I do this for you. I do that for you. I serve this way. I'm telling you now, when I look back and I look at that little puny list, it doesn't amount to much, my friends. It really doesn't. And then I waited for God's response. And he came again. And he said, the Holy Spirit, that still small voice that I'd interrupted rudely, He said, Dave, didn't mean to hurt your son. Didn't mean to crush what you said you're doing. I just wanted to say, Dave, you're not serving me. I'm serving you. I'm telling you now, when he said that, in that moment, something came alive inside me. Ever since he said that, I've never been able to read the Bible in the same way again. I've looked in both Old Testament and New Testament. It's there, God as a servant, serving his people. We get all out of shape. We need to take a break, I'm telling you, because many times the the, the whole idea of being a Christian is, well, we're serving God. We're serving God. We're doing this. We're doing that. I'm not trying to underestimate that. I'm not telling you that the Bible doesn't say that we are to serve God. But I'm telling you that the most prominent fact in the Bible is not about us serving God. The emphasis of Scripture is not about us serving God. It's about God serving us. It really is. At the core, at at the center of Jesus' life, his very passion was this. I've not come to be served. Imagine God in the flesh. Imagine the creator of the universe actually saying this. I have not come to be served. I have come to serve. I have come to serve you. His intentions have not changed. Look in the book. Look in the Bible. You'll see it. He's serving you today and me today as an advocate in heaven. In John's epistle, John says, I write this to you, my little children, that you do not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Who is that advocate? It's Jesus in heaven. If you sin today, tomorrow, or any other day, immediately the advocate stands before the Father and he begins to speak on your behalf. What does he say? He certainly doesn't say, look at them, Father, those dirty sinners, they're doing it again. No! An advocate speaks good things. An advocate speaks the best things. An advocate appeals to the Father on your behalf. The sins are covered. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to serve you, to serve you, to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's God serving you when everything's gone wrong. Cleansing you, enabling you to go on in your Christian life and in your walk with him. 
Oh, I'm telling you, church, when you read the Bible with the eyes of God serving you and you not serving him, you will cry tears. Faye was in bed the other, the other week and she's reading Isaiah 53, crying her eyes out. Let me tell you, that is the normal way to read the Bible. It really is. My God, when you open the scripture and you read about what he has given you, what he has, what he has bequeathed to you by that will and that covenant that has been ratified by Jesus, when you read about it, you should be shaken to the very core. Now, I'm not saying we all go home and have, you know, start sobbing. But don't be surprised if you find yourself overcome. <laughs> Overcome in wonder and awe. Overcome, captivated and lost in his love as you read the scriptures. Oh, crying. In a moment. Now we're not going to get through this today. But it's just a little introduction for where we're going in the weeks to come. In a moment we're going to read Psalm 23. Not yet. But in a moment, we're going to read this wonderful psalm. You know, there's a story about a preacher who preached on Psalm 23. And he was an amazing communicator. A very intellectual man. Intelligent. And he went to a church, a large church, and he preached on Psalm 23. And because he was a brilliant man, because he was a great teacher, everybody that heard him were amazed by the way that he instructed them, the way he ins- illustrated the psalm. And everybody was wowed. At the end of the service, everybody came around him, told him how great he was, how, how wonderful he'd preached. And he was really pleased as a preacher to hear all of the commendations and all of the encouragement that came from the people. Wonderful. Well, the next week came, and another preacher came. He was illiterate. He was an uneducated man. He didn't really have any experience in talking to large numbers of people, but he got up anyway, and he stood behind the platform, and he announced his text. I'd like to speak to you this morning on Psalm 23. Well, everybody knowing who he was, everybody knowing his social status, everybody knowing that he was an uneducated man, a bit of a stutterer, couldn't put much together, thought, oh my God, he's not going to really perform this morning. We've had the Prince of Preachers the week before who's explained Psalm 23 in such a wonderful way. The man gets up and he says, The Lord. And he breaks down. And he's crying profusely. And he can't hold it together. And he apologizes for crying. He said, I'll try again. I'm really sorry. The Lord. And again he breaks. He cannot go any further than the word Lord. And he tries several times when suddenly the power of the Holy Spirit descends 
on the whole family of believers gathered there that day. And suddenly they begin to weep and cry and break under the very heaviness of God's presence. And they're all, they're all on their knees crying, The Lord! And God's power falls and God's glory comes and there's a huge, huge awakening in the vicinity. The meeting lasts for several hours. At the end of the service, the man that had preached the week before, the intellectual, who could illustrate and captivate the crowd, was really disappointed. He went to an older man, a wise man. He said, do you know what? I can't understand it. The week before, I thought I had it nailed. I thought I had everything in place. I thought I wowed everybody. Everybody told me I was, I was the best thing. And I come today and you get him up and he can't even put two words together. He can't even get beyond the word Lord and the power of God sweeps in. The glory of God comes. People are changed. The whole church is fired up with the presence of God's Spirit. What went wrong? The wise old man looked at him. And he said, son. He said, it's really simple. You knew the psalm. He knew the shepherd. You knew the psalm, but he knew the shepherd. Psalm 23 is all about knowing the shepherd. And David looks back on his life as an old king now. Probably 60 years had passed. And as he looks back, as he reminisces about all of the things that had gone on in his life, in a moment of inspiration, he writes these words. This wasn't a man writing poetry to fill a page. This was a man that was talking about a living experience day by day, walking with the shepherd in every single area of life, at every juncture, at every crossroads, the shepherd was there for David. So we're going to read this this morning as a little introduction to where we're going over the next weeks. And I want to ask you a question just before I read this to you. Should we read it together? That'd be good. It may sound a bit confusing if we get our timing wrong, but let's Let's try and read this together. Now, this is the question I want to ask you. As you look at these words, as we read these words together, and I want you to think about this question as we read it together. The question is this. Who is serving who? Is David serving the Lord, or is the Lord serving David. We're about to get our answer, okay? Here we go. Let's read it together, nice and slow. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm telling you now, church, you don't need to be a Bible student. You don't need to be an intellectual to get the answer as to who is serving who when you read that psalm. This is a declaration from David's heart. This is a testimony about his life. And in it you find that it's not that David's serving the Lord. Even though God later says that David was a man after his own heart and served the purpose of God in his generation. Yes, David did serve God, but I'm telling you now, the emphasis of Scripture, the emphasis of God's heart is not about us serving Him. It's about Him serving us. And it's found and demonstrated time and time again throughout the Scriptures. Look at every answered prayer. Look at every miracle. Look at every action and intervention by God for His people on their behalf. God serves us. Who would think it? We would never dare assume it. We would never dare say it unless Jesus declared it. The ultimate act of any shepherd, Jesus said it in John 10, is to lay his life down for the sheep. What did Jesus do? That was the ultimate act of service. Jesus laid his life down for us when he died on the cross, when he rose from the dead. It's not about us serving God. It's about God serving us. And every admonition and invitation of Scripture calls us to come, calls us to believe, calls us to open up all of the treasuries of God's promise so that He might serve us. God wants to get to us. He really does through maybe the unbelief and the fears that we hold. We never have to be suspicious about God. Oh, he loves us. He really does. And it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. What the obstacle is, God says that he will help us. He is our helper. Jesus said, I will send you a comforter. What does a comforter do? He serves you. He helps you. He's a helper. He says, he will guide you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. He's a leader. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they take on, they take on the position of being a servant. Do you know you can go through all of the many religions in our world and you will never find any one of them pointing to the fact of God as servant. Go through them all. 
you'll, point, you, you, you'll see them pointing to them as being all-powerful, almighty, unknowable, distant, removed. But that is not in our gospel. That is not a true caricature of God. It's idolatrous. God says, I come and I'll be one among you. One among you as serve, serving, as a servant. He'll get down on his knees and he'll wash feet. He'll, get, he'll, he'll, he'll take up meager resources and feed multitudes. He heals the sick. He delivers the demonized. He raises the dead. All acts of service. God's blessing is on you. He invites you to come and say anything. Ask anything, he says, in my name, and I will do it that the Father may be glorified. An invitation to you for God to serve you. Just one word from you. And he'll act, and he will do what you need him to do. It's incredible. It's wonderful. It's amazing. You know, David looked back on all of the times in this psalm. In a moment of time, he looked back at all of the many varied times where God had been with him. He said, Lord, Lord, my shepherd. Not a shepherd. My shepherd. It's the most personal, intimate pronoun that David could use. My shepherd. The Lord was with him in the field as a young teenager. When he was looking after sheep, a bear and a lion came to attack his sheep. David stood up to those and the Lord delivered him from the paw of the bear and the lion. The Lord was with him. Even though David was despised by his father, even though David was was discouraged by his brothers, pushed out to the backside of the field. The Lord was with him. The Lord was his shepherd there, even in his youngest days. And even when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, David was put out in the field as the eighth son, isolated. They didn't want David to be in there. David's the runt of the family, the smelly kid that's out on the fields with the sheep. And in the room was the sons. They were the warriors. They, were, they had the future before Jesse. And David was in the backside of the wilderness. The Lord was with him. And the Lord in his sovereignty maneuvered David. God would not allow Samuel to anoint any other man other than that young teenager out in the field. The Lord shepherded him there. Even amidst all of that confusion. And Samuel anointed him, and within a month, he went to the battlefield to give his brothers a lunch, and he hears the growl of that giant Goliath, now anointed as king. Nobody knows it but him. And he says to the boys, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? A young kid. All of the warriors were wimps. They were running from Goliath for 40 days and 40 nights. And suddenly David comes on the scene. And Saul hears about it. And Saul tries to put his armor on David. You know the story. And David says, I don't need this. The Lord will deliver him into my hands. 
Even there, David knew that God was going to serve him in his step of faith. And he stood before Goliath. And Goliath, with that hateful look, began to issue his threats. But David said, the Lord will fight for me. The Lord will deliver you into my hands. And suddenly, a stone is going from his sling. Goliath is on on the floor, and he cuts his head off. And there's victory in the camp. God served a teenager and enabled him to set free a whole nation. I'm telling you now, it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what stage you are. If God is with you, who can be against you? You're more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens you. I'm telling you, he's on your side. He's on your side. And when you know that he's with you, you will look at problems in a different way. You will thrive on problems. You will thrive on impossibilities. Even with seed-like faith, you will command that thing and it will turn around and it will be thrown into the sea. That's the confidence that God wants us to have as his people. Not some positive message. I'm pointing to, to him this morning. I'm stoking up the fire this morning inside you to tell you that God is waiting for your requests. You're going to be amazed at what comes out of your mouth. You're going to be amazed at the immediacy of the answer that God will give to your childlike faith. You really are. We are not playing games here, church. We are are ushering in the kingdom of God. I am not going to play church. We are going to usher in God's kingdom. We are going to prepare a house so the spirit of God can rest on this place. Hallelujah. Woo! And every devil in hell might oppose it. But I'll tell you something now with our last breath. We will say thank you Jesus. Hallelujah. He gets victory. And it's like he's catapulted from seclusion and hiddenness into the limelight. They all start singing their songs. The new boy's on the block. He's done it. Saul's killed his thousands. David, the teenager, the smelly kid that was left out of the house when the prophet was coming because he wasn't important. He wasn't going to amount to anything. That kid, he's not killed his thousands like Saul. He's killed his tens of thousands. And then within months, within months, this young lad whom God is shepherding, God is serving, God is with. He's on his run from a He's on the run from a jealous king, Saul. The man that he had served. The man that he had wanted to help. The man that he'd laid his life down for is now trying to take his life. Plagued by an evil spirit. And David's on the run for eight years. Eight years. You see, God will serve you in the high times, but the low times. God will serve you when... You've been right at the top. With, you couldn't go any higher. God's with you then as a shepherd. But he's also with you. He's also with you 
in the cave. David's in a cave. All alone, but not alone. The shepherd's with him. As he wrote these words, and he said, Lord, my shepherd. His mind must have been thinking about all of the ways that he had walked. Lord, my shepherd. My shepherd before a giant. My shepherd before a lion and a bear. My shepherd when everybody's praising me. When I feel so great. My life's on course now. My shepherd there. But my shepherd when nobody's for me. When I'm estranged and an exile in my land. When I've been forgotten and pushed aside and I'm in a cave. David, exiled for eight years. Eight years. Running for his life. And he had a moment where he could have killed the one that was trying to kill him. But because of his sensitive heart and his respect for authority and leadership, he took a corner off his cloak and felt bad about that. You see, the Lord, the Lord was his shepherd as he is your shepherd. This psalm is not about David serving the Lord. This psalm is all about the Lord serving David. Now in the weeks to come, we're going to continue on this. And it comes also from what we were talking about a little bit before about rest, you see, not work. God's not into work. All the work's been done. I'm not telling you to give your job up, right? We can have the musicians up. We're going to close now. And I'm not saying don't serve in this house, please. Man, if we all didn't serve in this house, we'd be in trouble. The many volunteers and the love for this house to, to just keep it going and to open the doors, to welcome people, to be that, that smiling face when you don't feel very happy. If we didn't do what we do, then we couldn't have what we have. So we're not talking about, you know, you just throw everything away, lay on the couch and say, well, that's it, I'm off, for, I'm off to sleep for 20 years. No, we're talking about arrested. Are you... Do you have the rest of God inside? Do you? You know if you've got it or not. I've had lots of times in my life where I, there's no rest in here. There's no rest. It's all anger. Fighting. And, and there's no stillness. Hebrews 4 says, enter the rest. Enter the rest. The rest has been provided for you, for me. It's been paid for. It's been bought.
by the blood of Jesus. And we can have that place and that state of rest. And this is what, this is what David looks back on as he writes these words. You were there, Lord, and there. Yeah, you were there, Lord, even when I cried in the cave. You were there. Even when the Amalekites came and took our wives and all of my friends wanted to murder me and it was chaos and I sought you in the moment, in the chaos, in the darkness and you just simply said, pursue them because you will recover it all. You were there. And he did recover it all, his wives and his children and all the spoil. And then two days later, he was propelled again from eight years of exile into kingship. Imagine that. The lowest moment of his life where his men wanted to kill him. Where all had been taken and they were blaming David. Wives and children, spoil, had all been taken. They looked at the leader. It's your fault. You're the leader. You should know what you're doing. We left them here. You should have known, David. You should have taken better care. You should, this should have been more secure. It's your fault. 400 men turned on him. The shepherd was there. The shepherd. The one who he talked about. And he said, you are my refuge and my strength. You are my strong tower in whom I run to. He was there in the darkest hour of the man's life. And he looks back and he sees it all. The lowest moment of his life. Maybe a dark time for you today. My God, it may be that everybody's forsaken you. But God stands with you. He really does. It may seem as if you have no hope, no help. Lift up your eyes to the hills. From whence comes your help? He is your deliverer. He is your strength. Oh, we are so blessed to have Jesus in our lives. We are so blessed, church, to have the the wonderful fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship. Sorry for spitting. The sweet fellowship of the Holy Ghost. The richest man in the world. The richest man in the The richest woman in the world is not somebody that has houses and and money I want it all, I want a bigger house I'd like a nice flashy car but let me tell you the richest person in the world is somebody that has Jesus 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 in their hearts your lowest moment you don't know Your lowest moment may be the moment that becomes your highest moment. David recovered it all within two days. He was catapulted again out of eight years of exile, eight years of darkness to become the king. And then his history takes on another chapter. And we'll be looking at that. But through it all, 
in the high times, in the low times, in the sinful times, in the dark times. The pleasure of God was on him as his shepherd. We're going to stand right now and we're going to give him praise. We're going to declare. We're going to bless his name. Doesn't matter what time it is in your life, whether it's a high time, whether it's a low time. Bless his name this morning. We bless you, Jesus. We love you.